Welcome back to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon, and today we are joined by Diane Parham. Diane is a wife, mom, and online fitness and nutrition coach who has worked in the health and fitness industry for over 25 years. She is a certified precision nutrition exercise nutrition coach, as well as a certified running coach with the United Endurance Sports Coaching Academy. Now, just a few years ago, facing symptoms of perimenopause, she decided to make a visit to her doctor where she learned that she was pre-diabetic and insulin resistant, despite her very healthy lifestyle. Additionally, the appearance of excess body fat, fatigue, and the inabilities to sustain energy led her to seek out healthy alternatives to getting her body back on track. Her personal research revealed that her symptoms were due to the hormonal changes occurring in her body. For the past few years, she has been researching, studying, experimenting, and implementing what she has learned about intermittent fasting and has seen great success in her personal health. The pre-diabetic state has been reversed. Her body is no longer insulin resistant. Her thyroid levels are back in good shape, and she feels better than ever. Now, she wants to share what she has learned through this process and help other women who are going through the same stage in life. For Today's Aging Women is a community that she started a few years ago to share her journey publicly in hopes of helping women who were suffering through the same hormonal changes. What she has today is a community of thousands experimenting success with intermittent fasting. She created the Intermittent Fasting for Today's Aging Women course. This is a three-week course that is teaching women around the world how to heal their bodies through the practice of intermittent fasting and living a keto-like lifestyle. Now, on the lives, uh, my, my Facebook lives and sometimes in the podcast, I talk a lot about keto and intermittent fasting, and Diane is an expert here, and it's so great to have her on the podcast. Now, every woman, despite her age, should have the opportunity to look and feel her best and live her most authentic life, and the women in this community are doing just that. During the interview, we discuss what brought Diane to discovering truths about nutrition, how she beat her own sugar-related disease, what she thought eating clean was, and how she got sick from it, the importance of resting the pancreas, giving up alcohol, healing from chronic pain, the role intermittent fasting plays in reducing inflammation, why mindset shifts make such a big difference in our behaviors, and how hungry is where the magic happens. Now, at the end of the episode, make sure you visit drmichellegordon.com slash podcasts. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S. Don't forget the S. Where you can find the show notes, plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy the episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you're always the first to know when each episode is released. And thank you for all of the five-star reviews on Apple and wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate those. Now, if you have any questions about the topics covered in this or any other podcast, I invite you to open a conversation with me on Instagram at Dr. Michelle Gordon. I promise I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Now, don't forget that we have the Menopause Movement membership available to you so that you can join a community of like-minded women and become your best self. Now, let's get on to the interview with Diane. Thanks so much for being a part of the Menopause Movement. Well, 
Well, Diane, thanks so much for joining us today on the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here. So uh, what I'd like to hear from you is a little bit about, you know, what's your background? What, you know, what do you do? How do you help people? That sort of thing. Sure. So I have been in the health and fitness industry pretty much my whole adult life. I started out as a group fitness instructor. Um, actually, when I was in the Air Force, I used to teach uh, high impact aerobics classes uh, to military members um, on the base that I was at and then put myself through college te teaching group fitness as well. And then took a little bit of a hiatus from that when I was when I realized that bartending paid better per hour than, than teaching group fitness. So I did a little detour from, you know, a total opposite career field and went into bartending for a while, but always missed the aspect of teaching health and fitness. I and mean, it was always that thing that people came to me for. So I always stayed active and healthy and exercising and all those kind of things. And then when I realized how much I missed it, I went back to it as far as I was selling fitness programs. It became sort of an online fitness coach, so to speak. And then in my late 40s, I started going through perimenopause. And as a active health and fitness coach, became a pre-diabetic and also started suffering um, some really scary precursor signs of Alzheimer's. Mm. So when I got the diagnosis from my doctor that I was actually pre-diabetic, just from some general annual, you know, blood work that I had taken, I started putting some pieces to some puzzle problems that I had together and realized that I was suffering from very serious sugar-related diseases, did a little personal inventory of my life and realized I had been suffering my whole life. I was always hypoglycemic. Even as a young girl, I would come home from school crying out of just sheer hunger. Always was that one that had to eat every couple of hours. My family would make sure I had a snack bag packed just like you would for a toddler. Like I literally could not go a couple hours without food without completely falling apart. And so doing this little, you know, life inventory and putting those pieces together, I am just a woman who has suffered from the lifestyle that I chose to live as a young adult, dieting, over-exercising, and then living that lifestyle of eating every couple of hours that I put myself into this sugar sickness. Sadly, that's where most women are as they start going through these hormonal and chemical changes that just happen with time. And so everything that was happening to me was related to my body chemistry changing and me not changing with it. And so when I was in conversations with my kids and I couldn't recall their name and I was in a parking lot like a Target and I couldn't remember why I parked my car, it got very real for me. So it became so much more than just, you know, elevated A1Cs. It was like, I'm actually losing my mind over sugar. So just uh, let me let me back up for just one second and explain uh, for the audience what the A1C is because not everyone knows that. Sure. So hemoglobin A1C is a blood test that we do that tells us where the blood sugar has been for the last three months. Mm -hmm. And blood sugar, I, I mean, sorry, the hemoglobin A1C of 6.1 or higher is usually considered diabetic. So I just wanted to clarify that. So sure. And, and mine was at a 5.9 mm -hmm. as a woman who was taking care of herself. I was actively exercising. I was, you know, managing my calorie count. I was eating clean as, you know, as what we all assume clean is. 
And so to have an A1C come back at 5.9, yeah, it wasn't overweight by society standards. So it wasn't anything that my doctor was, you know, flagging as a problem for me. But I could see where no matter how much I was exercising or how much I was dieting, the weight kept staying on. I couldn't get it to come off. And it seemed like every few months more weight would pack on and I couldn't get it yeah. off. And, and you was know, it just, primarily but belly weight, belly fat? It for yeah, for me, that was that was definitely a place I noticed it the most because I'd never ever carried weight there before. But it was just like a layer of what I just called like just cellulite that just was just there. And it wasn't ever one of those things that was ever really a big problem for me before. And to not be able to get it to go away put me in a, in a state of like, I'll just diet more. I'll just exercise more. You know, that's right. what we did in the past. And those little things didn't work for me anymore. Going back. So, now. so I think, I think this is really important because women who are in menopause and perimenopause start to see the belly fat come on and the belly yes. fat comes on because of estrogen losses. And, yes. and we, we tend to store estrogen and belly fat. And so this is a natural progression for uh, women who are going through this phase as, as it's natural to lose your hormones. Uh, it's natural. It's not, you know, I, I see a lot of people say it's a hormone imbalance, but it's not necessarily a hormone imbalance. It's really just that, you know, as our ovaries stop producing, we have to change our behavior to, to counteract it in a way that can promote more health. And I don't, I don't see a lot of people talking about that in particular. Right. And from my own personal experience and the research that I have done is that it is a hormone imbalance, but it's not the hormones that we think. For me, it was the imbalance of my insulin production and how my body okay. was managing, managing insulin. And that when you're, when I was younger and it was just hypoglycemia that I was, that I was troubled with, um, it was easy to get my body to, to get into that point where it could burn off fat. But then as I started to age, and now I'm insulin resistant. Mm -hmm. Now my body can't burn off that fat the way it used to, or I can't manage my weight the same, or it was being hoarded around my midsection because now I have a sugar related type of disease that I'm sure. managing. So let's, let's just talk about, about that for a second and how, so the, the pancreas produces insulin in response to uh, carbohydrates or sugars. And so, and we have, you know, sugars are really, really prevalent in our diet. I mean, sugars everywhere, especially since Ansel Keys and fat became the enemy, right? Right. And so what has happened, and this is something that not a lot of people will talk about, but, you know, when you look at the evolutionary um, development of the human species, there was, there was feast and famine, right? And this is, I know we're going to get into that later on with you a little bit, but we would, we would be able to go out and, and hunt an animal and eat that animal. And we would have, you know, whatever the, the land provided. And then in the spring, we'd be able to have fruit and that would be, you know, the sugar, or we'd find a bee's nest and we would get that honey and we would right. gorge on that because it's awesome. But then there would be times when we wouldn't have it at all. And so the pancreas would get a rest. Right. And so what happens now in our sugar laden society is the pancreas never rests. And you can see, and I've talked about this a lot on my Facebook lives and in the podcast, that you can see a almost one to one correlation with the increase of diabetes in the US as we've decreased uh, and demonized fat. Right. And, and so and so we're going to I know that uh, in the podcast, we're going to talk about intermittent fasting and keto. 
which are you know two things that I discuss a lot in in my lives and um, and and in the podcast because they're they're concepts that a lot of people don't ever really get their head around. But one of the things that that is really important if if you don't get anything else from this particular podcast is that our pancreas needs a rest. Yes. And it's going to heal if we give it a rest. Right. Right. And that's really what the premise of what I I do and teach now is just giving your body an opportunity to use its energy and its resources to heal as opposed to break down and process and store away food. And so what ends up happening over time for those of us who grew up in this fat free society and dieting and, and under eating and over exercising is that so over time, our body just backs up chemically. Right. So it, it, it literally stops working the way it was designed to work. And we've put ourselves in that position because we've been eating every couple of hours or because we're consuming the wrong macronutrients. And I'm not a big fan of following macronutrients, but because we were so afraid of fat and so over concerned about how many carbs we were eating that we ended up just creating this cycle where as our chemistry changes in our body with hormones, those hormones do become imbalanced because they're not working the way they were designed to work. So I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of food that can disrupt hormones. I don't disagree yes. with you there, but I also want to emphasize that menopause is not a state of hormone imbalance. Menopause is a natural state of yes. hormone changes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nature's yeah. designed our bodies to not produce certain hormones because they're no longer needed anymore. But but what we also need to understand is that hormones ebb and flow with one another. And so with those changes also means that other things are going to change as well. And it's just a thing that over time for us, especially us women, because our lifestyle does change. I don't, I'm not as active as I was in my thirties and my forties. I don't have little kids to chase around. I'm a little bit more sedentary and I have changes in my hormones and you know, all of these things just packed on top of each other and I ended up sick. So I think the big thing to understand is what do we do when we find ourselves in this position? And we, what we, what I really try to teach women in this stage in life is that we have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to take the time to understand how our body is working and how that chemistry within us is affecting our future. And if we don't learn how to take care of ourselves, I'm guilty myself of following other people's plans for me without any regard to how my life is. And so when I got sick, I didn't know what to do. I was a health and fitness professional teaching other women how to take care of themselves but I didn't even know how to take care of myself. And so I think that is one of the things for us aging women, especially is that we do need to just take a pause and figure out what our own body needs. Well, that's, that's really important because when it comes to menopause, perimenopause and, and all of the changes that happen, there is no one size fits all answer. And, you know, you may have the symptom of hot flashes primarily, or you may have weight gain or sleep disturbance, or you might have a whole host of all of them as your symptoms. And then, you know, with those, then on top of that, we can have like this whole problem with relationships with yourself and with others and Mm -hmm. not feeling like, like we know who we are anymore. I mean, there's a lot of, it's, it's a very disruptive time in our lives. And 
the fact that there's not any one size fits all answer is that, you know, what, what is working for Diane and her and her students, you know, may not actually be the answer for you. And that's okay. The right. thing is, is to, is to continue to do the research and, and learn so that you can find the, the answer for yourself. Um, right. You and, said- and one of the things I really try to reinforce in, in the community where I live is, is, figure out food for you, right? Figure out a lifestyle for you because I see people thrive in a paleo type nutritional environment. I see people thriving in the carnivore type of world. I see people thriving in the plant-based world. And that doesn't mean that just because someone's thriving in an area nutritionally means that I will thrive there either. And I think this is where, again, as we're getting to this point of our life as women where, you know, we finally get some time and energy to take care of ourselves. We don't know what to do because we're so used to following other people and not really understanding what is best for us. So I always encourage experimenting with food and not putting yourself in a box that's so tight by rules that you find yourself failing all the time or you feel guilty that you couldn't stick to something. And I think that's another one of those sticking points for us women is that that whole um, failure self-talk that we have or negative self-talk or that, you know, we're not good enough or we're not smart enough or we're not dedicated enough to follow something when the reality is the things that we're choosing to follow aren't ours in the first place, right? Well, that's that's true. And, you know, it's so funny because in, in my program, it's called the Minnow System, and we spend a lot of time talking about the bitch inside our head who tells us we mm-hmm. suck. <laughs> you know, because we we do have uh, we do have that that negative self talk that we really have to um, either make friends with or shut up, right? In order to move right. forward in our lives, it's, right. it's so important. Yeah, so I I really like to lead with this saying, and that is, make decisions that allow you to look and feel your best, so you can live your most authentic life. Yeah, and what other people are doing shouldn't matter. I think it's always nice to 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 experiment and definitely investigate and do your research. But at the end of the day, the decisions that you make should be for you looking and feeling your best. And are you living your life most authentically? Because guess what? Life happens, right? Life happens. We're going to go on a vacation or someone's going to get married or you have to go to a wedding. And if you're so, if you're living so tight in a box with these finite rules that you have to follow or else you failed, then you can't live your life authentically. And if you don't have a plan of how you can ebb and flow your way through the joys of life, then you're always that girl that's sitting at the party that no one wants to hang out with because you have too many rules to follow, you know, (laughs) and we've been, we've all been that girl before. We're like, Oh no, I'm on a diet. Oh no, I can't eat that. Oh no, I'm not allowed to have that. And we should be allowed to do anything that we want to do as long as the decisions allow us to look and feel our best. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, it's it's funny because recently, I think back in September, uh, I decided to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. And I decided to stop drinking because I realized that every time I drank, I felt crappy the next morning. How, why does it take <laughs> you so long to figure that out? Right? I know, I know. It's so funny because it's like, it's like, I don't smoke marijuana because I hate how it makes me feel. Right. I just hate it. It's just, right. and, and that's been, I mean, I, you know, ever since I was an adult, I tried it again. You know, I, I, you know, I did it as a rebellious teen. I did it as a rebellious teen and that was kind of fun. But then as an adult, I tried it again and it was just like, oh no. I, I, and, and it's, there's zero temptation. It's like, I have no desire for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I started, I started looking at like my life with alcohol and I'm like, you know, every time I drink, I feel crappy the next morning. Why do I do it? And I'm like, well, I kind of feel good when I'm drinking. 
And so can I, can I tell myself that, you know, if I have that drink, I'm going to feel crappy. And it's, it's really panned out for me. I mean, I feel a lot better Mm -hmm. uh, not drinking. And I mean, I can't say, I'd love to say that I lost 50 pounds because I stopped drinking, but it's just not the case for me. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I just, I'm just one of these people that puts on weight easy and comes off hard. And, right. And that's so just I had my that own. same revelation in September, but magical September. I don't Isn't know. Isn't that funny? Yeah. But I asked myself the same questions and I, I created a pros and cons list for alcohol in my life because that was that one last thing that I had yeah. because there was no one that was going to tell me that alcohol was the thing because that's been the most constant thing in my life. Probably, you know, sure. through, through the years, it's like, how can that be the thing that's holding me back? But I love working out and I love running. And what I noticed is that I wasn't showing up. I like to I like to have what I call the athletic mentality when I'm working out, but I wasn't showing up feeling like an athlete. And the only thing that was keeping me from not showing up looking like or looking and feeling like an athlete was alcoholic. And so I had to ask myself, like if I was running a marathon on Saturday, would I have a cocktail on Friday night? No. Right. Well, every morning should be an opportunity for me to run a marathon. And why would I ever cheat myself out of that? And so I did the same thing and have given up alcohol. And I could tell you, it's been a life changer for me. I did. I instantly lost body fat. I instantly lost weight, which I now correlate to inflammation, not so much weight, but just that inflammation my body was holding on to because it was constantly like trying to adjust to this, what is now poison to me because I don't care how you slice it or dice it, alcohol. There's no like real there's, health. There's no, 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 there's no, there's no way to look at it. It is a poison. And the only right. reason it's not, it's not labeled as such is because of corporate uh, profit. Right. And, and I had to ask myself the question is it like you realize as well is if I'm doing something that makes me feel so bad and I continue to keep doing it, then do I have to ask myself that hard question? Am I an alcoholic? Mm. Now I don't have a DUI. I'm not, my marriage isn't ruined. My kids are all okay. Like there's no like big life things that I could point to that, but it was putting me in a position where I wasn't showing up looking and feeling my best yet. I did anyway. So then when I looked at it like that, I'm like, okay, well maybe I have a problem. And I need to take a full step back because I also know that I'm not a, I'm, I'm an all in or all out kind of person. And so I had to go all out. And so it's been four months now. I've been on vacation without alcohol. Mm-hmm. A great time without alcohol. <laughs> and so I realized, okay, it was just a thing I did and there was no purpose. And yeah, so it's, I, think, they, I think it's really, there's a lot of pressure socially, Yes, a lot of pressure socially because, and it's, it's, you know, every time you watch a movie, right. And, and I've talked about this before, but every time you watch a movie, the, the people are smoking and they're drinking. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they smoke in movies is because they need to do something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, it gives, it gives a, a little bit of movement to a rather, you know, something that would rather be static, that would be otherwise be static. And so the smoking that you see in, you know, you see all sorts of people who never smoke, smoke in, you know, Netflix shows or in movies. And they do that because... Uh, because it, it gives it gives a, a something to look at, and and once you understand that, you know it, it helps to that can help to move, remove any sort of. Now, obviously, you're an athlete; you don't think about smoking, but there's a lot of people out there who still smoke. Philip Morris is still a stock that is going up, mm-hmm. and so you know there is no health benefit to smoking. And the same thing with alcohol. Every time there's a stress moment in any sort of movie or TV show, there's a drink being poured. Right. 
And and I think that that that's the thing. You know, it's a societal thing, yeah. and it's so socially accepted that we just think it's the norm. And and I, you know, I always say every person or every woman has to come to this realization herself. So by no means should this conversation ever be viewed as alcohol shaming or any of those kind of things. Because no. I've I've you know I've been in that position. I'm sure you have too. Where it's like people like the peer pressure of saying no to a cocktail is intense it can and, be yeah yeah and you have to you have to understand your why for the decision that you're making so that you don't feel shamed into drinking when you don't want to and so I'm always super respectful of people's choices and and it is it's that thing well it's like you will get to a point where you'll have to ask yourself why are you still doing this if you aren't looking and feeling your best because that's the ultimate thing we want to show up as women looking and feeling our best we want to hold yeah. our head up high. We want to walk into a room confidently. We want to be ready when life's opportunities present themselves. And, and you can't do that if you're still doing things that are holding you in that place where you don't show up for yourself in the best way. And so it took me a long time to figure that out. And I've been practicing the lifestyle that I have, reversing my diabetes and reversing all the signs and symptoms of Alzheimer's. And I was still drinking. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's, that's really interesting. I mean, the, the reason I quit alcohol was, was, you know, number one, it made me feel bad. And number two, it was really holding me back spiritually. I have a pretty yeah. deep spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. And I realized that my meditations weren't as deep and I wasn't able to access, you know, source energy as, as readily when I had a drink the day before. And I was like, well, what's more important to me? Do I want to be, you know, in a spiritual life or do I want to drink? And it, it was really kind of a no brainer at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my, the, all the lifestyle changes that I've made, the underlying why for me is I'm 53 years old. I have a 19 year old son and a 13 year old daughter. So when I start counting forward to my grandchildren, you know, I'm like, Ooh, you know, I'm yeah. going to be an older grandmother because I was an older mother. And if my kids wait till their forties to have their kids, I'll be in my eighties when I'm a grandma. Yeah. And I don't want to risk knowing my grandchildren over a glass of wine or I don't want Absolutely. to risk being mentally present and emotionally present for my future because of because of the fact that I just drank a margarita on a Friday night and so when you really get that deep-seated why that almost that gives you goosebumps and almost makes you a little bit afraid of what the possibilities for your future can be it makes making those decisions a lot easier and so yeah. I do it for the grandkids I don't have yet yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. Now, I wanted to go back to something. You were talking about eating clean. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm taking some notes over here, and I just wanted to get your definition of eating, what eating clean was before you, you know, had your own revelation. Right. So eating clean for me before I got sick was gluten-free, fat-free, dairy-free, you know, all the freeze and marketing labels, what, what the trends were for eating clean. When I started really focusing on connecting chemical reactions, when I put things in, on, or around my body, my definition of clean eating really changed. And it was a, a, a big light bulb moment for me when I realized I was having major gluten problems. I was having major reactions to soy and, you know, soy is a big controversy where, you know, some camps say it's the best thing in the world and other camps say to fear your, you know, fear, be fearful of it. And so well, let's, let's address soy just for one second. Soy is a good source of it's, it's an okay source of phytoestrogen, right? The better source for phytoestrogen is probably flax seeds. It's, it's got the highest, but, but the reason why soy is so popular is because of phytoestrogens. The problem right. with soy is there's no GMO, 
GMO-free soy. Right, right. And so where I was really, I, I did a test, I was soy-free. And I, there was a, still this lingering feeling I had of feeling sick. And I had a pain that started like up here behind my eye, would shoot down the side of my face into my neck. And I thought for sure I had like cancer or something, you know, like the pain was so intense. And I had a pain in and in like a little bulb in my neck and I had MRIs done and cats. I mean, you name it. I was like, I know I'm dying of something. And then I was soy free and I still had that pain. And so I said, okay, I'm not putting anything in my mouth until I read every ingredient label of everything. And I'm going to scour my house for, for, for toxins. 15 times in one day I was exposed to soy when I was proactively soy free. Wow. And I made the connection with soybean oil and soy lecithin yeah. as a filler in foods was the thing that was causing that pain that was shooting down the side of my, my neck and in, in my head. I, I seriously thought I had a brain tumor. And as soon as I eliminated all soy, soy candles, so I got rid of air fresheners, all the things around my life. I got rid of all the things in my makeup, all the things in my, you know, skincare products and all the things that were in my food and the pain went away. Well, that's amazing. And, that's, that's really, that's, that's really neat. Yeah. And so, you know, so you had, a, you had, you essentially had chronic pain. Yes. You know, so you healed yourself from chronic pain by, yes. by removing soy. Right. And soy um, is that thing that is in all the quote unquote clean foods that are marketed, right? So my right. gluten-free, dairy-free waffles had soy lecithin in them. My turkey bacon had soy lecithin in it. Cough drops, soy lecithin. Gum, soy lecithin. Yeah. I mean, you name it. Cooking spray, soy lecithin. So you have to look for it and then proactively eliminate it. 15 times in a day exposed to soy, that's scary if you have that sort of intolerance to it. You yeah. know? And you, then when you can make that connection and eliminate it, now you can, you know, you can make decisions about other things and how they're making you feel as well. So I do really teach to women that when you're in a state of feasting, be conscious. How do you feel? Um, the way I made the connection was I had a piece of turkey bacon. I had about this big of a piece and I ate it and instantly felt that sensation. And I looked sure. at the package and went, ugh. So it's really important to be mindful of how things make you feel. And, and one of the things that we're never taught, you know, in America, in our package, you know, fast food society is to actually pay attention to how we feel after we eat, eat something when, you know, we're not taught to, you know, in France, they're taught to eat mindfully and, mm -hmm. you know, meals are, a, you know, a big deal. And it's, it's not uncommon to go to dinner in, a, in, in France and have a three hour meal. And right. it's just slowly, slow, you know, because it's a, it's a, it's an event. But in America, you know, it's McDonald's and, and all this stuff. And, and we're not taught to really be mindful or pay attention to how certain foods make us feel. And so the challenge then would be to, you know, just take a day and just really journal, you know, eat like you regularly eat, but mm -hmm. just pay attention to how these things make you feel. Because oftentimes you'll find that there's a lot of things that make you feel crappy. Yeah. And you don't, you can't, so where these feelings really became so surface level and apparent to me was when I started practicing intermittent fasting. And when you put your body in a completely empty state for a long enough period of time for it to empty itself out, and then you introduce certain foods, the reaction's instant. When you're feasting or you're feeding yourself all day, or what I like to call numbing or preoccupying yourself with food and drink, 
you feel bad all the time, you don't even know what good feels like. So when you can feel good in a fasted state, and then you choose to put something in your body in a feasted state, if you do something that your body doesn't like, it tells you instantly. Then all you need to do is pay attention to what it is you're doing and then make conscious choices about sometimes, you know, sometimes sure, I sure. say it's worth it to have a, you know, a gluten reaction if it was something special and you know how to get yourself out of it and you don't beat yourself up over the decision. Yeah. And then there's times where you just can't afford to do it. But knowing the things that make you feel that way and connecting your conscious choices to that feeling is life changing because yeah. then that puts you in the driver's seat. And I think as a society, we have been trained to use food as, as the thing to entertain us, self-soothe us, mm -hmm. end a stressful day, ease loneliness. You, I mean, you name it. It's, it we're, you, we're trained to use it in all the ways that it's not intended to be used. Food is used to nourish our bodies. That's the way it's supposed to be used. That's what it's for. But we use it for all the emotional reasons and not any of the life-sustaining reasons. And I think when we free ourselves of that mindset and we heal ourselves emotionally and mentally, then we can introduce food into our life in the way in which it was intended. Yeah, that's that's really deep though. I mean, I think I think, you know, you just touched on something really superficially but that, that can be very deep because, yeah. you know, how did our parents reward us for good behavior? And it's really common to see, you know, I mean, I see it all the time. You know, the kid is sitting silently, but they're eating a lollipop, you know, or they're getting rewarded for a certain mm -hmm. behavior or they're mm -hmm. getting a cookie. I mean, for my mm -hmm. mom and me, it was always brownies and and for my dad, it was potato chips. And so it's like, these are the things that, that when I eat them, I always think of that parent, right? Right. Potato chips or my dad, brownies or my mom. And, and our parents, you know, the way we're raised, uh, and especially I think, you know, and we're, we're Americans, we can talk about America, the, the podcast goes worldwide. And so depending on how you were raised, food is this big, big, big reward. And what we have to do is change our mindset, you know, change the, the beliefs that we have around food to make it not something that we reward ourselves with. Oh, you know, I did that long workout or I did that long run. And so now I can have pizza, you know, even, even I'm a cyclist, right? Right. And I, and there's this, uh, there's this app called Zwift. Have you heard of it? Mm -hmm. So, and, and Zwift measures your workouts in pizza slices. Mm -hmm. And I just, I find that so kind of abhorrent because like pizza is not food. Right. <laughs> Right. You know. Well, well, and I really do try to teach because, you know, we have also this obsession about working out, right? And how it's punishment and everybody dreads a workout and workouts, a, you know, the bad thing. When I really teach that we need to move our bodies for tomorrow and don't punish ourselves because of yesterday, right? And so yeah. if we fix our mindset around food, like I love working out because of what it's going to allow me to do tomorrow and the next day. And I do want to be that active mother to my adult children and their spouse and their kids. And I do want to be the active, healthy grandmother. And I do like my physique to look a certain way. And I want to be able to carry in my groceries or move a couch and live my life physically. And if I'm always working out or moving my body to make up for something I did in the past, I'll never be happy in my present. So I work out or I teach women to have the mindset about moving your body as something that you're rewarding yourself for the possibilities to come. Yeah, right? that's, that's, that's really good because, you know, it took me a long time. I've been training I work with a triathlete coach and probably I've been working with him for four or five years. And, and it, 
and I wasn't an athlete before I was pretty sedentary and it took me probably three years to start thinking like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm an athlete. Mm -hmm. And then I was like a fat adapted athlete. Right? right. And, and then it was like, okay, so why am I doing this training now? I'm doing this training now because I want to be able to do something in the future. And, and the training isn't about, isn't about like working, like you just said, working off a pizza or working off the, the, the croissant I just ate. It's more about, you know, how, what can I do? How can I challenge this body that I have now to do things? Right. And, and even, even though I had had some injuries, I mean, I had a pretty bad hip bursitis uh, for the whole year of 2019. I can still do more with this body at this age. I'm 55 years old than I was able to do in my 20s right. because I never tried. Right. I was afraid right. of everything back then. Right, right, right. Well, and I'm the same way as a runner. Like I, you know, I lived in the chiropractor's office in my 30s and my 40s as a runner, and I don't have those pains today. And a lot of that is associated with the fact that I don't have the inflammation that I used to have in my body. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that for a second because when I talked to you about eating clean, you said you were fat free, dairy free, gluten free, right? Those were the main threes. Mm -hmm. And what's happening when you remove fat from your body? This is just, you know, for the, the information of the audience is that we, we need fat. We need right. fat to build our hormones. And so if, if you're in a disrupted hormone state because of eating vegetable oil, say like soybean oil or cottonseed oil or, or anything any that things are fried in, right? Those, those things are going to disrupt your hormones already and they're going to work, work on your telomeres, which are the little mm -hmm. bits at the top of your DNA mm -hmm. and it's going to cause inflammation. I mean, inflammation is caused primarily by the food that we eat. So then if you're, if you're in that state and then you're deciding that you're not going to eat any fat, then your hormones aren't going to have the substrate that they need to build. And then they're going to go wacko and you're going to just have more inflammation. And that's why you had thyroid problems and insulin problems and right. you know, whatever else. And so it's, it's the, the fat free lifestyle is not appropriate. No, no, <laughs> not, not at all. And you know, and, we how are we supposed to know that right at, at well we don't know that because because of Ansel Keys and right, let's right, just right. let's just you know talk about that for one second Ansel Keys was this researcher he was really kind of a jerk and he decided that uh, fat was the reason why we were getting heart attacks right and at the same time uh, there were studies that were showing that sugar was the corp was the culprit when it comes to um, heart disease and the sugar industry suppressed all that research right right so so we have you know we have these these two forces and ansel keys just was very dynamic a very dynamic human and he and his his beliefs really um affected the the biggest nutritional experiment that has ever happened and that's been the u.s the usda and the usda food food pyramid Food pyramid yeah for yeah sure. since and and i don't know i mean when i was it was funny because vinnie tortorich you know who he is right mm-hmm yeah, so he's he's the no sugar no grains guy, and he wrote a book called. I mean, he did a movie called uh, "Fat: A Documentary," and he says that the food pyramid was in, introduced in 1990s. But I remember when I was in sixth grade learning mm -hmm. the food pyramid, and that mm -hmm. was 1976. Right. So the food pyramid's been around for a it's long time. Well. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you know, and it's backed by the General Mills corporations, I'm sure, whatever you know. Yeah, uh, no. is that you know the the most important meal of the day. Break fast is your most important meal of the day. It's just the time in which you do it is where we yeah. really have to have to start thinking about some things. So so I went through all of those you know aha moments myself and realizing that I was really making myself 
sick by just not paying attention and going through life following the guidelines and the rules that outside people were establishing that had nothing to do with me. And so going through this process and, and, and figuring out how to reverse all the sugar related diseases, I stumbled upon intermittent fasting. And what I found when I started researching intermittent fasting was a lot of young gym physique type of people, mostly men talking about intermittent fasting. And I didn't hear anything that was relevant to my age group or women specifically. I actually heard a lot of warnings for women in intermittent fasting. And I kept researching, kept researching, and kept researching. And the science made so much sense. And so I just started experimenting. And the, the most common protocol I could find for intermittent fasting was a 16-8. So you fast for 16 hours and you feast for eight. And that's because the only people I could find talking about intermittent fasting were people who were working out. And if you're working out and you're young, 16-8 works great because you still have your body's chemistry working in your favor. Yeah. Because of the years of buildup of, of the sugar-related things I had to deal with from hypoglycemia, insulin resistance, and then pre-diabetes, I didn't have that on my side anymore. And so what I started doing was experimenting with intermittent fasting. And what I found was we have what we call now the sweet spot, and that's a 20-hour fast with a four-hour feast. And that 20-hour fast really does allow us aging women to have enough time in a fasted state to reset our body chemistry and give our body the opportunity to feed off of all of the mistakes of our past mm -hmm. and all those diets that we've done, all the, all the overeating of carbohydrates and undereating of fat, we allow our body to reset all of that in the fasted state. And 20 hours, we, um, we also have a saying in, in my little community called, uh, what is it called? Fasting is, or hungry is where the magic happens. So hungry is not what we're trained to feel comfortable in. We right. feel hungry, we eat. We feel bored, we eat. We feel hungry, we're shaky, therefore we need to eat. We have a headache, we eat. Eating solves all of our problems. So what we really have found is that as women in a state of hungry, that's where we are most empowered. I love and, that. Yeah, love there's that. this energized, what we call the energized sense of calm that comes about when your body's fat adapted, meaning you have an abundance of energy in a state of hungry, but emotionally, you're very even keel because you're not going through these sugar cycles of highs and lows. Mm -hmm. You're emotionally and mentally sustained, but you have so much energy, you don't even know what to do with it. And so yeah, that's, that's so good because, you know, it's, it's funny when, you know, when you read Finney and Volek, right? You've read them mm -hmm. and they, they wrote a book, uh, they wrote a couple books, but one mm -hmm. of them is, a, is, uh, what's it called? I always forget the name of the book. It's, um, fat adapted athlete or something. I can't remember the name, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I'll, I'll look that up. But at, at the end of the day, they, they did their studies on men and they were male cyclists. And so just like, uh, almost all research, in the health field, it's been done on men because mm -hmm. we live in a patriarchy. And I always talk mm -hmm. about this, the mm -hmm. patriarchy, you know, runs things and, and women were considered just, you know, the lesser part of a man. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the way we have heart disease and the way we have almost all illnesses, very different from men. But mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't until recently that we started actually getting the research that we needed. 
But what's very interesting, especially in a woman who is fat adapted, and, and what that means is that instead of burning glucose for your fuel in your brain, you're burning something called ketones. Mm-hmm. And those ketones are what's coming off when all of your glycogen stores in the liver are depleted. And what is interesting is that there's at least 40,000 calories available to you at any given time when you get, and there's no, there's no, you know, that the word we use in America is bonking. Right. Right. So, I mean, and, and if, if you've ever done an endurance sport, you know, you've bonked, you've mm-hmm. had that, that experience of bonking where you had to stop and have some carbs because mm-hmm. if you didn't, you couldn't keep going. Right. And the, the best, the best thing about being fat adapted is the fact that there is never a bonk. Right. Well, well, the bonk is psychological and not even physical. So the bonk is the feeling as if you couldn't keep going. But if we're a dog, I, I, I have to disagree with you there. Run, trust me. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to disagree with you there because I have had experiences where I was doing, you know, long cycling, you know, long, like four, four to eight hour cycles cycling. And I ran out of carbs. And as soon as I had something, I was able to get and, and had a lot of energy again. So I, I right. think that- so, so keep in it mind depends on how you train. Right. So and keep in mind that psychologically you satisfied the feeling with carbohydrates. Had you been on your bike and bonked and you would have been chased by a band of people with guns saying that they're going to shoot you if you don't keep pedaling. I promise you you would have kept pedaling. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know because I was I, I don't know. This has happened a couple times but the, the one time it was really bad. I could not keep going. I could not I didn't even yeah. wasn't able to get power out of my legs. Yeah. And it wasn't until I ate something. So it's it's hard to say. I, yeah. I do I don't think that the bonk is 100% psychological. I think that there's a lot of physiology behind it and I think it's been researched. But I'm not a I'm not an exercise physiologist so yeah. uh, you know yeah. we have to probably agree to disagree there yeah well well oftentimes what happens is with lack of experience and out of sheer fear we eat and we don't realize that that feeling of hunger or that feeling of panic that we need to eat is an addiction to sugar and (laughs) sugar detoxing or or the addiction to feed ourselves constantly is as serious as any other kind of addiction and we have to psychologically prove to ourselves we're not going to die if we go more than two hours without food. And so that's really where uh, the intermittent fasting for today's aging woman course and community has really thrived is that we have these women going through this course together and they realize like, oh my gosh, I can go more than four or five hours without eating. I can go 20 hours without eating. Some of them go 20 plus hours without eating because you just have to get over the uncomfortable. Yeah, there is there is a place where if you don't pay attention to what's happening as you're as you're especially like we do a something called the Dr. G sugar cleanse in the minnow system where where people are going when they go through that and and we talk about like you know how are you rewarding yourself and what what is what is causing you to have this sugar addiction. So it sounds like we teach a lot of the same types of things. And you, you know, have to deplete that, that you have to deplete that chemical need for sugar. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah. And any, I mean, any detox you do, if you try to give up coffee or you do a juice cleanse or whatever, you know, that second or third day is torture. But <laughs> if you can get over that hump of the second or third day, that's when you start experiencing the energized sense of calm and you feel like you could fast forever. And so it's that making that psychological and mindset connection to what you were doing wasn't working for you anyway 
let's consider a new way and you actually start experimenting and, and experience that, then it's magic. And so that's what I ended up doing is I kept, I kept practicing intermittent fasting the way it was publicized and it wasn't working for me. And so when I really realized I could stretch it a little farther and how as an aging woman in my body with insulin and how backed up I was, those extra hours in a fasted state really did allow my body to deep dive into the reserves that I had, use those and consume those as its sense of energy or source of energy. And then I, when I broke my fast, making sure I stayed in what I teach is like the keto-like lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So you determine the foods that work best for you with the common sense approach of the ketogenic diet without all the, the tight rules. So the keto-like lifestyle that I teach is higher naturally occurring fats, moderate to low amounts of proteins because we do over-protein ourselves as well, and then conscious carbohydrates. So carbohydrates aren't the enemy. You just have to pick the right one. Right. Yeah, exa exactly. That's true. I mean, I, you know, when, when, um, you know, there is this whole thought about the, the green keto, which is basically, you know, eating greens with a lean protein and some right. fat keto itself, you know, maybe a little bit high in fat. And, and if you're, if you're trying to do keto and you're not losing weight, it's probably because you're taking in too many calories just from fat. Well, and, and when any diet, if you don't follow it to the T, it's not going to work as advertised, right? right? So if you follow the ketogenic diet, you have to follow the ketogenic diet because if you have all that fat in your diet and you're not conscious of your carbohydrates, you get the double energy source just like we have before, right? right. So you really want to make sure that you're creating an energy environment inside of your body. Your body's tapping into its own, Right based on what you have in storage and you're just sustaining things when you feast with nutrients. And so I really do teach, you know, using nutrient dense foods as your guideline. Now, what is that to you? I don't know. We all live in different environments. We have different cultures. We have different customs. We have different opportunities to find food. And so being able to determine what nutrient dense means for you based on when you put something in your body and it creates a chemical reaction, do you look and feel your best? Yeah, that's, I think that that comes back to what, uh, one, one of the, the people that I, I work with a lot is a woman by the name of Kathleen Finley, and she runs a farm near me called Glenwood. And she talks a lot about regional cuisine and the importance of regional cuisine to, to society. You know, and we're, we're in the Hudson Valley of New York, and we talk about, you know, what, what is ample here, what grows here, what is, you know, what are the, the things that, that, that are native to here. And, and, and anywhere in the world you find regional cuisine. I mean, you've heard about the Mediterranean diet and that was Ansel Keys again, mm -hmm. but you know, and, and how, how even in all the research studies, still the Mediterranean diet is coming up as the number one thing. But at the end of the day, regional cuisine is like what is in your area and what's natural to that, you know? And, and, and a lot of the, add, oh, yeah, go ahead. I would say a lot of diets, they don't account for you and how you were raised and you know what your family customs are and and what what it is that you have in your everyday routine and i think when we have to you know i, I call it like the clean sweep of the shelf when we have to do that in our life to accommodate a short-term fix for something that's where we get into trouble so figuring out what makes you happy what your family practices as their own uh, culture um, what you know celebrations or how it is that you really thrive when you're in that everyday world and then around that you build in that keto like approach so how much of that can you introduce higher naturally occurring fats and how much of that can you 
really pick your protein wisely and don't be afraid of carbohydrates. Just make sure that they're the ones that are going to fuel your body. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. What I wanted to ask you is, uh, are you familiar with Jason Fung? Yes. So is that how, so Jason Fung wrote a book called The Obesity Code, mm -hmm. and we'll hook that up in the show notes. I think that's a really good research resource for anyone who wants to learn about intermittent fasting. He's a nephrologist, I think. Yes, he is. And he ended up being the one who, who probably influenced me the most because it was the extremes, right? So I found the young gym people and then I found him mm -hmm. and his focus was more on like the 70 plus age group. And I'm like, okay, we've got to find somewhere in the middle. And yeah. so, you know, taking those two sides of intermittent fasting and melding them together was really what came up of, you know, intermittent fasting for today's aging woman was the, the mentality and the philosophy behind helping elderly people heal their body. I'm like, okay, well, if we can do that there, and we see these young people doing it from the physique aspect, well, what if we meet that in the middle and we can get the best of both worlds? And that's yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's really good. And, and, you know, we're seeing more and more research on fasting coming out because mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's such a, such a trend right now. And one of the things that I've seen in, in, in the scholarly articles is that a three-day fast so if all you have is water for three days, mm -hmm. uh, that can completely reset your immune system. Yeah. But it's really hard. It's, I mean, it's and I did a, I did about a year ago, I did a seven day fast. Yeah. So the first three days was water. And then the second two days was just some like green smoothies without any, any apple or anything in them. And after about the fourth or fifth day, I started, I really got sad because I wasn't eating. And so I emotionally was like, wow, this is really awful. So I started having salad at night and I yeah. went seven days and I wanted to, because I'm a surgeon. And one of the things we do as surgeons is we have to fast our patients. Right. You know, we, because somebody has a belly, you know, problem, diverticulitis mm -hmm. or something. And so we have to give them a break. And, and I wanted to know what that was like, you know, physically and emotionally. And I lost 10 pounds. Yeah. And I just did not feel good. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, first three and, days I felt good, but it was right. after that it was hard. And you know, I teach that as well. We uh, so I have a second course called Midlife Mindset Shift, and we talk more about you know longer fasting or deeper fasting um, in that course uh, outside of intermittent style fasting. And I do believe that those kind of fasts are personality based more than anything. I'm not a thriver in a long extended fast. I do fat adapted fasting. So if I do anything for more than uh, you know an intermittent level, I always add fat into that, and that helps me get through. Um, but I always say that I save those type of things in my hip pocket in case of an emergency. So, so can you were, explain a little bit about what you do with, with your fat? When you say it's fat adapted, what do you do? You eat almonds or? Yeah. So I fast. And then when I get punchy or feel edgy, I just add a little fat into my day. So I'll have like a half of an avocado or a handful of macadamia nuts and it takes the edge off and then mm -hmm. continues you through the fast. And so um, I monitor blood glucose and ketones during that time too. And what I found is that I thrive better there than I do if I just do water fasting. There are people, again, it's like the carnivore diet, the paleo diet, whatever. Oh, sure, people yeah. thrive in extended water fast. That's not me. And so you have to find where you thrive and then figure out what the end result you want out of it. So for me, it's just having an opportunity to rest my body and putting in a little bit of fat in it gives it that opportunity. I come out the other side feeling fantastic and it works. And then, and then finding if, if multiple day water fasting is where you are your best. I know people who run on their fifth day of a water fast. I think you go do your thing. <laughs> it's not my thing. Yeah. Um, I find that, I find that when I, when I, 
when I actually have, you know, it, 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 in order to get into a three-day water fast, I have to be in the right mindset. Right. Because the first day is really hard and the second day is kind of hard. The third day is a lot better. And after yeah. the third day, it's not so bad. Yeah. But, you know, three to five days of water only. And I exercise hard at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so what I find is that, number one, when I, when I exercise fasted, I'm, I'm getting to ketosis faster. Right. All right. And so when, what ketosis is just for the, the, the audience is uh, when your body's burning ketones instead of glucose and when you, you can check your uh, blood ketones through mm-hmm. a finger stick and, and along with your glucose. So what I notice is when I'm, when I'm fasting or when I'm fat adapted, you know, my, my blood glucose stays right at 90 and my ketones are between 1.2 and 7. Right. Right. Depending yeah. on how much I exercise. Yeah. So when I'm testing glucose and ketones, I monitor the index or the ratio of the two numbers together, and I don't base my success or failure on the independent number, and that's helped a lot too. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's that's a good way to do it. So in terms of resources, so we've, we've talked about Jason Fung. We talked about Finian Volek. Are there any other resources that were instrumental in you in helping create your... I think Dr. Fung was the most just because... I loved his personality and approach to it. And I do feel like intermittent fasting should be a lifestyle. I don't think it's a quick fix. I don't think it should be that thing that you take flippantly. I think you need to understand the body chemistry. I think you need to understand your emotional and mental state. Um, I do really feel that intermittent fasting is that thing that's helping women heal on what I call all three levels. So not just physically, but emotionally and mentally with how we deal with food in our life and how we soothe ourselves with food and feeling comfortable in a state of hungry has really helped a lot of women heal mentally and emotionally as well. And I think when you take the lifestyle approach to it, you get to see the, the lifelong benefits of it. I will fast forever. I have no, no desire to go back to any other way of living. And I think intermittent fasting with time and consistency will heal all things. So time and consistency with intermittent fasting will heal all things. It should. I mean, I think there's also a role for, you know, spirituality and yes. tapping into the subconscious mind. And, and there's, there's, there's so much more to, to healing than just the body. I mean, there, there is a whole mindset component to it and a spiritual component, I think, right. as well. Right, right. It's yeah, required. so... So intermittent fasting for today's aging woman is really designed for us and in the place we are in our life and understanding that, you know, we have a right to take a break and spending 20 hours a day doing nothing. You have to heal mentally and physically. You, know, <laughs> you have no other choice because things will just become so much more relevant to you. They come to the surface. You feel again, and then you get to make better choices for yourself. And so I think that's the beauty of intermittent fasting, which isn't talked a lot about because it is so often so talked about in a fat loss sense or in a physique changing sense. And we really should be using it as a way to just live our lives better. Yeah, I like that. And so where can people find you? They can find me at fortodaysagingwoman.com or um, on my social media platforms. I'm usually can search by my name. So D-Y-A-N-N Parham. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement today. I really appreciate you. 
And I've, I've really you. enjoyed this. And I hope that uh, we can bring you back. And if you have any questions for Diane, just make sure you send them to me at drgordon at menopausemovement.com. Yeah, I do think the, the more we talk about this openly as women, the more we can help our community. Um, I, I believe that this is our time as women. And the world is changing on our behalf. And I think that we need to be ready and be able to show up as our best selves when opportunities present themselves for sure. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you just one more thing you had mentioned, and I I do follow you on Instagram and you had mentioned that when you travel, you always take a travel day as a fast day. Yes. Can you just just speak to that for one second? I travel a lot and and I find that, that I, I have to drink, I get a headache if I don't drink a lot of water on a, on the plane. Right. Well, that's dehydration probably. So I always say go into a travel day hydrated for sure. But you know, food is an inconvenience when we travel, right? We have to seek it out or, you know, we have to make time for it in an airport. And so what I have really found is that traveling is a great opportunity to take advantage of a fasted state. So I fast as soon as I'm leaving for the airport, I'm in a fasted state, which is usually the morning. So I'm fasting from the night before. And then I have a a policy of don't bring it, don't buy it, don't accept it. So the don't bring it, you're in the most control of. So you don't pack a bag full of snacks. You don't have food available. Don't buy it. So don't buy anything in the airport. Don't visit a restaurant. Don't go. It's to hard to find good food in an airport anyway. Yeah. So you're just, you're helping yourself anyways, and you're saving a ton of money and then uh, don't accept it. So I have a firm policy when I'm approached by a flight attendant is to look them in the eye with a really big smile and just say, no, thank you for the sixth time that they offer me the free pretzels or the cookies. And if you read the ingredients label on that free food, then it is nasty. So if you just go in with the mindset of you don't bring it, you don't buy it, you don't accept it, take advantage of being idle. We don't need any food when we're idle anyway and just drink lots of water, then you can create a nice fasting opportunity. Then when you land in your destination, take advantage of where you are in the foods that are offered there, especially if you're on vacation. I always say when you're on vacation, enjoy where you are. Don't be so limited because of, you know, a lifestyle choice or whatever. And then when you come back, you do the same thing. And what that really does do also is it helps you reset your circadian rhythm. So you don't suffer from jet lag, you don't come off the plane as inflamed, you don't feel like you have to make up for lost time because of travel. And it really does help you just thrive in travel experiences for sure. No, I, I like that a lot. And and what about for people like I, I travel first class, all right? Mm-hmm. So I always fly first class or, or business class at the latest, at the, you know, and, and if they have something, if, if I'm hungry and they have something that is not gross. I, I sometimes will take it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I don't. But the other thing is, is that what if it like we're going to Argentina on Tuesday, mm-hmm. right? So if it's a long, long flight, if it's a 20 hour flight or something or longer, do you still recommend yes. um, fasting the whole yes, time? Yes, because when you get to Argentina, you can take advantage of the food there, right? Meat. Meat. Right. <laughs> the there and you won't be, you won't be jet lagged, right? Because putting food in your body on a flight takes energy and it's usually a chemical thing that you like, you're like, you're not in control of the food. You don't know what they made that with. And what if there's something in there that you're intolerant to now you get off the the plane and you're suffering from the plane physical, you know, negatives that happen with just being on a plane. And now you have to deal with how you felt because you ate something. And so hungry is where magic happens, right? So hungry doesn't mean that you necessarily need food. Hungry means you're presenting your body with an opportunity to feed off of itself, right? I love that. I love that. Just a little teeny shift in the mindset and it works so well. Yes, yes. So, you know, and I always say, you know, if, if your travel is for food, meaning you're getting on a plane to have a first class dinner in first class, 
yeah, eat. But if your travel is to go from point A to point B, stay with why you're on the plane, right? So I travel to get from point A to point B. I don't travel for a food experience. My food experience will be happen when I get to my destination. Yeah, well, even even in first class, the food is never really that good. It doesn't matter. So fast. Just say no, thank you. Eat eat the nuts or bring your own nuts or something like that. You know, and I ask for lots of Pellegrino on the plane and have some. I do. I drink so much water. It 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 they end up bringing me liters of water because I drink I drink so much water on a plane. Yeah. Yeah. You will, you will get off the plane feeling better than you've ever felt traveling. Trust me. And you can yeah, come when back. I, when I do, you know, I mean, I oftentimes I'll try, you know, I travel to California a lot. I live in New York and, and I, I very rarely take a meal on a, a, a yeah. you know, plane to California and, you know, I usually feel pretty good. Well, and I think so. what we, for, what we forget to think about is, you know, that little cookie seems so innocent, but it just created an insulin response in your body. Right. So yeah. now you have to get through that before you can actually thrive back in a fat adaptive state or get back to that place where you're tapping into something that's stored. So if we're constantly in a position where we have readily available glycogen, we can never get to fat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's right. And so you have to deplete the glycogen stores. Yes. Well, thanks again so much. I, yeah, I really appreciate you. you taking the time to talk to me and I hope I can bring you back in a few weeks and you know, or a few months and we can talk again. Sounds good. Thanks for your time. Right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon, and I wanted to take a moment to share what one of our community members has achieved since she's been working with me. Amanda has had an amazing transformation. Amanda was struggling with joint pain, hot flashes, forgetfulness, sleeplessness, weight gain, and an angry mood. In addition, she lost her confidence and self-worth as menopause crept up on her. Since joining the Menopause Movement membership, Amanda's quality of life has improved in ways no one could have predicted. She has truly transcended the symptoms of menopause and is now living her best life. This is what I want for everyone in the community. Take a listen to Amanda's story. I just want to show you what's possible when you join the community and do the work. Transcendence is available for you too. Now here's Amanda. Hi, my name is Amanda. I am 54 years old and I live in the UK. At this moment in time, I'm in a fairly good place in my life. Recently, I've lost 18 pounds and I feel healthier and more content than I have done in a long time. However, it hasn't always been this way. Back in October 2011, I had an accident which resulted in a serious injury and surgery and subsequently changed my life forever. And over the next few years during my recovery... Menopause crept up on me, but I didn't realise what was happening straight away. I started suffering from more joint pain. I went from always being cold to feeling like I was going to internally combust several times a day. I was getting really forgetful. My sleep pattern was terrible. I piled the weight on and looked pregnant and I felt angry all the time. When things were at their worst, I felt incredibly alone and very down. I lost my confidence and self-worth and I felt completely misunderstood and confused about what was happening to me. I received very little support or information from my GP and there was limited information on the internet, but what I really wanted and needed was someone to talk to. The turning point for me was at the beginning of July 2019, when completely by accident, I came across Dr. Michelle Gordon's Facebook page on the menopause movement. 
At that time, she was doing daily live streams and I started listening to them. I related to a lot of what she was saying and I was really interested in the variety of topics about menopause that she was talking about. The alternative ways to manage menopause symptoms in a more natural way and how your mindset is the key factor to transforming your life more positively. I was also really interested to listen to the other ladies in the group and what they had to say. Ladies who had been or were still suffering from similar symptoms to me. How a lot of them have been able to manage their symptoms much better and how they have turned their lives around and embraced menopause instead of treating it like a demon. Although nervous about taking a risk to join a group I didn't know, I knew that I couldn't and didn't want to carry on living my life the way I was and feeling the way I was feeling. So I made a decision that I too wanted to learn more about menopause, how to manage my symptoms better and most importantly, learn more about my mindset and the fact that I needed help with changing my outlook on life in order for me to get it back. Life is nowhere near perfect and some days I still have my struggles. But on the whole, I can honestly say that I am in a much better place than I have been for a long time. And for my down days, I understand better how to manage them so they don't get out of hand. I am now on a journey with a fantastic community of like-minded women, all of whom continue to support each other no matter where we all live. And I no longer feel confused, misunderstood, worthless or alone. For me, this group has been both a lifesaver and a life changer. And most importantly, the one-to-one -one private coaching sessions that are available with Dr. Gordon as part of the membership have been invaluable to me. They provide me with an opportunity to discuss more difficult and private issues that I am struggling with and an opportunity to find solutions to address them. Without doubt, I can wholeheartedly say that I owe Dr. Gordon and her group everything for showing me how to take my life back and more importantly, take control of it. Joining her membership has been the best thing that I have ever done. However, this course is not for everyone. If you're looking for a quick fix that doesn't cost you any time, money or effort, then this is not the group for you. But if you're in a similar situation to how I was not that long ago, feeling desperate and at the end of your tether, but are willing to invest in your own future happiness and peace of mind, but are unsure as to what to do, ask questions and talk to Dr. Gordon. And if you choose to take that leap of faith, you won't regret it because who wouldn't want to take their life back if they had the chance? If you are feeling like Amanda, you're not alone. There is help for you in the menopause movement membership. I want to help you transcend your symptoms and live your best life. To discover how you can become a part of this life-changing community, go to menopausemovement.com.